Howdy, friends. This is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 78 of the Popecast, the only podcast about popes where you'll find non-boring stories on the successors of St. Peter and a reminder that all the world's problems have happened plenty of times before. It's an early church pope today, which means he more than likely sported some glorious facial hair. So naturally, the sponsor for today's episode, once again, is our friends over at Catholic Balm Co. Uh, They have everything from beard balms, beard oils, lotion bars, various other skincare products, natural deodorant, all that type of stuff. It all smells excellent. Uh, I know my wife always appreciates when I'm wearing uh, beard balm from these guys. So you can check it out at catholicbalm.co, catholicbalm.co. And then be sure to enter the word Pope at checkout, P-O-P-E, at checkout for 10% off your entire order. So once more, that's catholicbalm.co and the word Pope at checkout. Thanks again, as always, to those guys for sponsoring the Popecast. Today's episode is on a guy who rose from the lowest rungs of society to become the leader of a burgeoning but still illegal faith. And yet, it wasn't the Romans who gave him the most grief. It was one of his fellow Christians. This week on the Popecast, it's the slave who became Pope. Pope number 16, St. Callistus I. The man who became Pope Callistus I, also at various points called Calixtus with an X, was likely born in the mid to late 2nd century and was born into slavery, particularly in the household of a Roman named Carporphorus, himself apparently also a Christian. Now, with it being the ancient age of Catholicism, comparatively little is known for certain about the life of Callistus, of course, compared to some of the more modern popes. And ironically, what is known about him is largely thanks to a man who at the time was a heretic and schismatic of the highest order, the first anti-pope in history, as it turned out, a man named Hippolytus. Now, oddly enough, Hippolytus ended up a saint himself. Seriously. And we covered that, actually, the whole story in, in episode 28 of the Popecast for anyone who's curious or needs a refresher. But in Callistus's time, Hippolytus certainly didn't have a halo and apparently had no qualms with embellishing certain facts about his opponent in print either. The writings of Hippolytus tell a particular story about the life of Callistus I, and several sources note that they are likely at least based in fact. Callistus likely was indeed, for example, a slave for Carporphorus, and after being entrusted with his master's banking business, tragically did probably lose all of the money entrusted to him on behalf of widows, uh, family, and fellow Christians. But, despite what Hippolytus said, it probably wasn't purposeful. Callistus apparently then fled to avoid consequences, certainly understandable, and he even leaped from the boat he was traveling on when seeing his master approaching, but it was likely again to simply escape capture than to, as Hippolytus suggested, commit suicide. Callistus did apparently end up getting captured, however, and was for a time sentenced to common punishment reserved for slaves at that time, manual labor, that of running the handmill in a bakery for probably days on end. Sometime afterward, relatives and friends of Corporphorus apparently thought that Callistus still had money in his name, and as a result, petitioned for his release from captivity. But alas, he was broke. What happened next is another embellishment. While Hippolytus writes that Callistus, quote, courted death by insulting Jews in their own synagogue, what is known to have really happened is Callistus simply petitioning Jewish moneylenders to repay him back what they owed, which of course itself may have come with a bit of a risk, granted. Now, not long after that incident, Callistus found himself on the way to the salt mines of Sardinia. Who knows why? 
And in those days, of course, that was all but a death sentence. But Hippolytus stretches the truth once again by writing that the future pope was sent away and, quote, not to be looked upon as a Christian, end quote, as the Catholic Encyclopedia recounts. But in reality, Hippolytus himself had contradicted earlier writing by saying elsewhere that Callistus was indeed a Christian, likely the very reason he was sent to the mines in the first place, which meant that when his release was negotiated by Marcia, the emperor Commodus's wife, as an envoy of Pope St. Victor I, uh, who we featured in episode 69, by the way, Callistus was released as a result of being Christian as well. From that point on, Callistus was a free man. Who knows if Carporphorus did this willingly or intentionally, but given that the salt mines were essentially state servitude, Roman law dictated that anyone sentenced to such a fate was also automatically unhitched from their prior master, so kind of a fortunate turn of events for him. He was granted a pension by St. Victor I upon returning to Rome, and after the Pope's death, the next man in line, Pope St. Zephyrinus, apparently toward the end of his own papacy about a decade and a half later, saw enough in the able young man to not just ordain him a deacon in the year 216, but to assign him as archdeacon, the, the chief of all the deacons, over the whole church and making him his number two in governing to boot. Callistus was also put in charge of the church's primary cemetery, apparently the first uh, actual land contract that the church ever had, and apparently did such a bang-up job that the thing was not only named after him ever since, the Catacomb of St. Calixtus is what it's still called, but it would house the tombs of popes for at least three centuries thereafter. At any rate, Zephyrinus went on to his eternal reward around the year 217, and although the details of how he did so are lost to history, Callistus was the odds-on choice of a great majority of the Roman people to become the next pope. Although he was promptly elected, of course, as a result, the minority who opposed him was particularly vehement in their disdain for the new pontiff, and, you guessed it, it was Hippolytus leading the charge. Their opposition was a direct result of Callistus's actions uh, in his early papacy and, and toward those specifically who had sinned gravely in the realm of adultery and fornication, namely, that Callistus admitted them back into communion with the church after they had done due penance. So basically an early version of confession, right? Make, and he made that ruling in a famous edict that riled up both Hippolytus and the famed church father Tertullian. Now, I'll get to why Callistus was right in a moment, uh, as opposed to the other two, but the text of the edict itself is also very telling in terms of how the early Christians viewed the bishop of Rome. Here's what Callistus wrote, quote, I hear that an edict has been published, and a peremptory one. The bishop of bishops, which means the pontifex maximus, proclaims, I remit the crimes of adultery and fornication to those who have done penance. End quote. Now, how extraordinary is that? Remember, pontifex maximus is still used, right? The, the pope's Twitter handle even now is, is pontifex, which is short for pontifex maximus, which means the great bridge builder. And, in the, and this is being said in the early third century. 1,300 years before the Protestant Reformation, and 800 years before the split with Eastern Orthodoxy. So here is the Bishop of Rome speaking in reference to himself as one with a unique authority. Bishop though he is, uh, just like any other bishop, he still carries a clear supremacy among the group. So I always, I always like to point that out with early church uh, writings and quotes and things like that um, for those who might not realize that papal supremacy was something that was very, very present in the early church. But back to the ruling itself. Hippolytus and Tertullian's outrage, the former's going so far again as to have himself 
propped up as an anti-pope by virtue of his claiming the rights of the papacy for himself. It was more than likely a result of existing custom that they were mad, right? That grave sinners or converts from heretical sects were sort of SOL <laughs> when it came to being fully welcomed back into the life of the church. Basically, you, you, you had your chance and you blew it. Now, neither Hippolytus nor Tertullian were idiots, of course. Both were very, very capable and learned men. But they missed something crucial that, thank God, Callistus picked up on. Almost like that's maybe why he was made pope in the first place. Now, Callistus knew full well the power of binding and loosing that was granted to the office of Peter by Christ himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, Christ said specifically to Peter, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so Callistus knew that the founder of the church which he was leading was the one who not only absolved some of the worst sinners when he himself walked on earth, but after their repentance, think Peter, Mary Magdalene, St. Matthew, Made, he made them his closest friends, right? So Callistus didn't back down even in spite of the opposition, and it appears by all accounts that he was likely one of the great popes of the early church. Pope St. Callistus I reigned for somewhere between four and five years, dying in the year 222 AD, and likely as a result of his Christian faith. Though we don't know the exact details of his death, some say it was a popular uprising by anti-Christians, given that there was no widespread Roman persecution by the emperor during his papacy, Callistus has nevertheless been recognized as a martyr ever since. Callistus, ironically, was not buried in the cemetery that bore his name, but was rather entombed in the cemetery of Calipodius in Rome, and in the 9th century, the 800s, was moved to the Basilica of Santa Maria in Trastevere in Rome, where his relics remain today. And for Hippolytus's part, he would go on to pastor two more popes as an anti-pope in opposition to their legitimate reigns and would eventually be exiled alongside Pope Pontian in 235 to those same salt mines of Sardinia where the slave, Callistus, had been sentenced so many years before, except neither of them would make it out alive. Pontian, however, ended up convincing Hippolytus of his error and welcomed him back to full communion with Rome before the pair were martyred together, and they still share a feast day. And one wonders the role that Callistus played in heaven, interceding for the soul of his old adversary. Well, that's it for the story of the slave who became Pope. Now, we really hope you enjoyed this. Uh, if you haven't already, please be sure to leave a review, a rating and review over at iTunes and make sure uh, people can find the Popecast as they're searching for new podcasts. And actually, on that note, uh, we have a new review that I'd like to make sure to read uh, and give a shout out on the show. So it's uh, Nick G327 gave us a review this last week. Uh, so he left five stars. He said, believe it or not, I found this podcast as I was watching the young Pope and the new Pope. So the, the HBO series that have Jude Law and... John Malkovich, right? So he's watching those series during the summer and wanted to learn about the actual papal history. I'm now caught up on the podcast to say Matthew has done a great job diving into the nitty gritty to the great and worst successors of the chair of Peter being non-denominational Protestant that helped me grow in appreciation and the importance of Catholicism. God is good. Looking forward to more episodes. Uh, well, thanks, Nick. That's that's great to hear. Uh, we always especially like to hear from uh, yeah Protestant brothers and sisters um, because we know that these histories are important for people who are Catholic or not, or believers or not. So uh, so it's very encouraging to hear. Thanks again for the kind words. Also, uh, for anybody out there who's would like to support what we do, this will always be free, uh, but it's not free to produce. So if you'd like to support what we do, um, we'd, we'd really invite you to join us on Patreon. So patreon.com slash the Popecast. Um, some of the benefits you get, early access to every episode. Um, we can, we'll mail you a sticker and a little thank you. 
Um, you might even be able to finagle a podcast mug with a, a nice quote on there or um, a podcast t-shirt as well. So feel free to, to check that out. Um, it's just a, uh, starts out at a dollar per episode, so it's not even per month. It's only um, You're only supporting when we're actually making new content. So that's patreon.com slash the podcast. So as we head out today, let's pray for the intercession of Pope St. Calissus I, that we might follow his example of being merciful, both to ourselves and to our neighbor. And above all, that we might remember that although these are strange times we live in, they are no stranger than in ages past. Until next time. Thank you.